I want you to go ahead and turn with me in your copy of God's Word this morning to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Chronicles chapter 29. This morning, we're beginning a new series that I believe has the potential to change your life, change the life of your family, and change the life of our church. So I want to encourage you to make a commitment to be here for each of the next three Sundays. Don't miss a Sunday. Now, for the sake of full disclosure, I need to go ahead and tell you that we're going to be talking about money. What to do with money, how to use money, how we're supposed to handle our money. Now, some of you are already getting ready to check out. You would rather have a root canal than sit in church when a pastor talks about money. But understand, the Bible has a lot to say about money. Money is an important part of our lives, and unless we understand God's perspective on money, we will find ourselves controlled by money, in love with money, hungry for money. And the Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, hear me. The Bible doesn't say that money is evil. It says what we do with our money, how we use our money, how we long for money can become evil. Now what we're going to focus on the next three weeks is generosity. And it's amazing how often the Bible speaks about this topic of generosity. Let me give you some examples. In Deuteronomy 15, verse 8, it says this, Be generous to the poor. Never be hard-hearted and tight-fisted with them. Be generous to the poor. Never be hard-hearted, tight-fisted when it comes to them. Psalm 37, verse 21 and verse 26 says this, A righteous person is generous and giving. He is always generous and lends freely. His descendants are a blessing. Psalm 112, verse 5. Good will come to him who is generous. Proverbs 11, verses 24 through 26. Sometimes you can become rich by being generous or poor by being greedy. Generosity will be rewarded. People who obey God are always generous. Now listen to that again. People who obey God are always generous. Ecclesiastes 11 verse 1. Be generous and someday you will be rewarded. Jesus said this in Mark 4 in one translation. It reads this way. Generosity begets generosity. Stinginess impoverishes. Second Second Corinthians chapter 8 verse 2 says, They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor, and yet they are filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. <laughs> they are being tested with many troubles, they are very poor, and yet they are extremely happy, and they are very generous. And then First Timothy chapter 6 verse 18 says, Command them, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share. 
Now, I'm convinced that the majority, the overwhelming majority, I would dare say 95% of all people desire to be generous. Do you remember the story, A Christmas Carol? Do you remember that? Do you remember this character, Ebenezer Scrooge? I mean, no one wants to be known as a Scrooge. No one wants to be pictured that way. And yet, each of us, I believe, struggles with this in some form or another. We want to live with open hands so that we can freely give to others. But when it comes to our money, when it comes to our resources, we we have a tendency to have tight, clenched fists rather than open hands. Now, here's the truth I want you to get. Write this down. It's not on your note sheet, but it's very important. How we view money says a lot about how we view God. And the flip side of that is equally true. How we view God says a lot about how we view money. Now, 1 Chronicles chapter 29 is a good passage that I believe teaches this. And let me give you a little bit of backstory about what happens before 1 Chronicles 29. And, and then we're going to go into it. David is, is now an old man. He's, he's getting ready to die. He's thinking about his legacy. And David has accomplished many great feats. He has slain giants. He has conquered kingdoms. He has built Israel into a great nation. And even though there have been times when David committed terrible sins against God, his heart always longed for God. He loved God, and he had a desire to serve God. And because of this love, he had a strong desire to build a temple for the glory of God. He noticed that he was living in this beautiful palace And the place where God was worshipped, the place where the glory of God came down, was a tent. And David wanted to do something about that. But before he could ever get building, God told them that he wasn't going to let him build the temple. He had too much blood on his hands. He had been a warrior, and God didn't want a warrior to build the temple. His son Solomon was going to build the temple. And so David determined that he was going to raise the finances to accomplish this great work. And so he brings all the people together. And he tells them what he wants to do. Raise the money to build a temple for the glory of God. And then he tells them what he is going to do. He is willing to give all of his personal treasures to this task. And then he challenges them to do the same. And what is amazing as we read this story is that we discover that the people gave willingly and the people gave wholeheartedly. It was an incredible outpouring of generosity. And so David brings all the people together to worship God, to praise God because of what had taken place. And this is what it says in verse 14. David says, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? 
when David begins to understand the greatness and the glory and the power of God, and he leads all the people to become generous with with their resources, with their wealth, he is overwhelmed that he has this ability to give back to God. And so my question for us today is, are we generous like that today? Are we willing to give freely and wholeheartedly of our personal treasures? Now, unfortunately, there is a lie today in our culture that kills generosity. It has pervaded our lives and our thoughts. And the lie is this, what I have is mine. It's the belief that what is in the bank account, what is under the mattress, what I have in my IRA belongs to me. And I want you to understand that when we have that view that the money that I am entrusted with is mine, it will impede generosity. Now what's amazing is this is one of the very first lies we believe and embrace. Even though I don't believe it's taught. It's just part of our nature. It's one of the first phrases that come out of our mouth. We buy a baby a pacifier. And then one of the first words they ever say is, mine. How do they do that? Why do they do that? We hear little kids playing together in preschool on the playground and they have a toy that they're playing with and some other child comes up and wants to play with that toy and and the kid grabs the toy and says, what? Mine. Halloween is, is a perfect example. All over our area, parents took their little kids around to their friends, to their neighbors at Halloween to get candy. These little kids, these snot-nosed kids, didn't earn the candy. They didn't work for the candy. Someone, through their graciousness and generosity, gave them candy. And, And they get back home. And when they get back home, they have enough sugar to keep them high for years. And they have this big old basket of candy and and you're looking at their candy realizing that they can never eat all that candy and you see in there something you really really like maybe a a butterfinger maybe a a a bag of peanut m&ms and you pick it up and what does that kid say that's mine they didn't work for it They would have never been able to leave the house unless you took them. They don't understand that that you're bigger than they are, that you're more powerful than they are, and if you wanted to, you could just take all their candy. Do they not realize that at any given moment, if you chose to, you could rain candy upon them where they would never long for candy another day in their life? but they don't understand that. All they say when you try to get a little candy bar from their stash is it's mine. And then we do that as we become adults. Every one of us has seen the commercial. J.G. Wentworth, it's my money. How does it go? And I need it now. And we see people 
person after person hollering out of a window on a bus all over the place saying that it's my money and I need it now. Now here's the problem with this lie. The problem is when I have more, I become self-absorbed. I become proud. I become arrogant. Look what I've done. Look what I've got. Look what I've made. I'm smarter than those who don't have as much. I'm better than those who don't have what I have. I've worked harder than they've worked, and we become self-absorbed. And then when I have less, I struggle with my self-worth. The reason is because we compare ourselves to other people. We compare what we have with what they have, where they live with where we live, the car they drive with the car we drive, the vacations that they take versus the vacations that we're able to take. And, and if we can't do what they do, what happens? Our self-worth is affected. I must not be as valuable as them. There was a German millionaire named Adolf Merkel. In 2007, he was worth $12.8 billion. Can anybody say that's a lot of money? billion. He was the 44th richest person in the world. And his fortune, and growing his fortune, his family said, was everything to him. When 2007, he made some poor financial decisions. And in 2008, his wealth dropped to $9.2 billion. A $3.6 billion drop. He moved from being the 44th richest person in the world to being the... Um, what is it here? The, I can't even remember what it is. The 96th richest person in the world. Now, let me say, for most of us, we have $9 billion. We could probably get by. But this devastated him. Because his life was wrapped up in what he had. His value was found in his valuables. And when his valuables went down, he felt like he was a failure. So you know what he did? In 2009, in January of 2009, he went out, put himself on a train track, and killed himself. A billionaire worth over nine billion dollars, killed himself because he lost some money. You see, when we have this idea that it's mine, it's going to affect our life in a negative way. Now, let's move on because I want us to look at the good part. You see, there is a lie that I believe hurts generosity, and that is it's mine But there is a truth that fosters generosity, and that truth is, it's God's. That's what David discovered. Listen to what it says in in verses 11 through 14 of 1 Chronicles 29. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord. Wealth and honor come from you alone. Everything we have comes from you, and we give you only what you first gave us. Did you get that? 
You own everything. Everything comes from you. And we can only give you what you first gave us. Now this principle is seen throughout Scripture. In Psalm 24 it says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, the world and everything and everyone in the world belongs to God. Psalm 50 verse 10 says, every animal of the forest is mine. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Haggai 2 verse 8 says, the silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord. Ezekiel 18, for every living soul belongs to me. The Father as well as the Son. Now don't miss this. Everything belongs to God. God owns it all. Nothing you have, you're going to take with you. Everything that you have, you're going to leave behind. Everything I have, everything you have, is a gift from God. It is a gift from a loving, generous God who longs to have a relationship with us. And and let me tell you, When we come to that point, when we realize it's not ours, it's His, and He is entrusting us with it, it changes everything. It changes everything. Larry Burkett, who is now in heaven, said this. He said, when we acknowledge God's ownership, every spending decision becomes a spiritual decision. The simple truth. This simple truth will change everything when it comes to your living and your giving. Now, notice where the shift begins. Where does this shift begin that it's not mine, it's God's? The Bible teaches that it begins in the heart. Listen very carefully. When our heart is right, our giving will be right. Let me say that again. When our heart is right, our giving will be right. Giving has more to do with what's in my heart than it does with what's in my bank account. Listen to what it says in 1 Chronicles 29, verse 17. I know, my God, that you examine what? You examine our hearts And rejoice when you find integrity there. You know I have done all this with good motives. Jesus said it this way in Matthew. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I think we can flip that around and say, where our heart is, there our treasure will be. You see, when we're devoted to God, when we're in love with Him, when we realize that everything we have is a gift from Him, then we will give all of our resources, all of our money, all of our talents, all of our time in devotion to Him. Next, when we understand it's all His, everything is put on the table. Not a tenth. Not half. When we recognize that it's all from Him in the first place, is His, not ours, then everything is put on the table and we have to ask Him, God, 
What do you want me to do with this? Now notice what it says in verse 3. In in the New Living Translation, it says this way. And now because of my devotion to the temple of my God, I am giving all of my own private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. Now David had already invested from the, the, the nation's treasury. But now he is saying not only are we going to give out of what we have already given, we are going to give the treasures that we have set aside for ourselves. And notice the challenge that David gives to the people in verse 5. He says, now then, who will follow my example? Who will give himself and all that he has to the Lord? And then in verse 9 it says, they gave freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. Now that word freely or willingly is found four times in this passage. They didn't give because they felt guilty. They didn't give because they felt pressured. They didn't give because they needed a tax break. No, they gave because they had a sincere love and desire to give with a wholehearted devotion to their God, understanding that it was God's in the first place. And here's the amazing thing. Everyone took place, took part. You see, there are some people that think that giving is something that the wealthy are supposed to do. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that everyone is supposed to get in on this act of giving. Uh, Look what it says in verses 6 and 7. It says, then the leaders of families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands, the commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. They gave toward the work on the temple of God. From the leaders of families, which were the fathers, the husbands, to everyone up the food chain, everyone gave, everyone participated, every family was involved. Now, did they give the same amount? No. They weren't able to give the same amount because different people had different resources. But they all gave. You see, giving is something that no one else can do for you. And you will never get the benefit until you give. I've discovered this raising four kids. My children, all of them, have big hearts. Uh, They really do. But here's what I discovered. When it's mama and daddy doing the giving, their hearts are bigger. Let me give you an example. Matthew, my my youngest, was a counselor at at student camp this summer. and, And one of the things that they did at camp was they showed this Compassion International video and, and encouraged these teenagers that didn't have jobs to sponsor kids well my 19 year old son that doesn't have a job that's in college man his heart was riveted for these kids all around the world who needed something and for just a few pennies a day he could sponsor them and support them and and they could have all of these benefits that that they needed to live and and he decided that he was going to sponsor I, I can't remember whether it was 10 or 20 kids. I'm going to do it. I mean, I was sitting there beside him, and I was watching him fill this out, and I was looking 
And I said, son, what are you doing? He said, I just really want to help. I said, I'm proud of you, son. How are you going to help? I, I don't know. Where are you going to get the money? I'll I, I, I deplete my bank account. Okay, what are you going to do when you get to college for money? I, I'll consider that later. And I said, son, why don't you start with one kid? <laughs> and we'll go from there. No, Dad, I want to do this. So, like many that were in that room, he filled out cards, turned them in. He didn't have any money on him. And so they sent him the thing about a month, six weeks. And by that time, there were other things that he wanted. There was this new Xbox that one of his friends were getting rid of that he could get for a steal. And he could have that when he went to school. And I said, son, now remember, you wanted to change poverty in the world. You wanted to help these kids. But when it came to the realization that he wasn't giving someone else's money, he was giving the money that had been trusted to him, things changed. And see, we need to understand today, we need to understand today that giving is not something that your mom and dad can do for you. Giving is not something that your children can do for you. Giving is not something that I can do for you. Giving is not something that the person sitting next to you in church can do for you. Giving is one of those things that only you can do it for yourself. And I'm convinced that when we recognize that God owns everything that is the key that's the catalyst for giving generously because once we realize it's not ours it is we become less selfish and more selfless because now i'm no longer an owner i'm a steward of the master's resources And I'm asking myself, what is it that the master wants to do with these resources? So, what are the benefits of accepting this truth? That that it's God's, it's not mine. Everything is his, and and I'm supposed to live not with clenched fists, but with with open hands saying, okay, God, what do you want me to do next? What task do you want me to give to next? What cause do you want me to give to next? What is the benefits of accepting this truth that it's not mine? First of all, you're able to take part in something bigger than yourself. In verse 1, David said this. He said, the task is great. Now, there are a number of tasks that you can give to. And, And let me say, there are a number of tasks that you should give to. But I am convinced that there is nothing more important in God's eyes than giving to your local church. You see, the Bible says the church is the bride of Christ. And I got to tell you, I want my bride to have everything she needs and everything she wants. The church is the body of Christ. And we should be taking care of the body. The church is the people of God 
given the, the mission from God. And if the mission is going to be carried out and completed, it's going to be carried out through the church. Jesus said to the local church, the gates of hell will not overcome it. Guys, every time we give to the local church, we have the privilege of being a part of of something that is changing history. We are a part of something that Jesus established 2,000 years ago. And Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The church is God's plan to share the gospel with the nations. The church is God's plan so that all people may come to know him. And when you give to your local church, you're giving to accomplish God's task. You see, when when the offering plates come around and we give, we're not giving to keep the lights on. We're not giving to reduce our debt. We are joining in the war to storm the gates of hell and set the captives free. That's what we're doing. At Northside, God's given us an incredible mission. Our, Our mission is to to make disciples of all people by urging them to believe in Jesus, belong to his family, and become like him. Who are all people? Well, all people are those who live next door to us. All people are those who are in pioneer areas where there isn't an evangelical church around. All people are, are those people groups who have never yet heard the name Jesus. And our mission is to make disciples of all people. And, and he's given us an incredible vision. We believe that God wants us to see thousands of people come to faith. We believe that God wants us to send out hundreds of career missionaries. We believe that God wants us to plant churches all around North America. We believe that God wants us to impact the darkness by reaching the unreached, unengaged. We believe God wants us to share the gospel personally with every person within a 15-mile radius of our church. And we believe that God's desire is for our church one day in the near future to be giving 30% of all of our resources to reach people outside our doors. Not to minister to us inside our doors. You see, the task is great. And when we give, we have the opportunity to get involved in that task. But next, when we become generous and we realize that it's not ours, it's God's, our heart begins to be controlled by God and not greed. Later on in verse 1, it says, this is not a palace for people but a temple for the Lord God. All of a sudden, when we realize that it's not mine, it's God's, we become God-centered rather than man-centered. It's no longer what we want, it's what God wants. It's no longer about our comfort, it's about His glory. But listen, we can even be selfish and greedy and self-centered in our giving, can't we? Let's be honest. I I mean, we can give because it benefits me. And it benefits mine. If I have preschoolers or grandkids in the preschool, I want lots of money for the preschoolers. If I've got children, 
I want lots of money in the children's area. If I, I've got middle schoolers and high schoolers, I want lots of money there. If I'm single, I need my piece of the pie. If I'm a senior adult, I want some pie too. And we have a tendency, don't we, to give because of how it can benefit us. But understand, that is a consumer mentality, and it's not biblical. We should never give because of what's in it for me, but rather simply because it brings glory to God. Don't miss this point. The temple was not being built for man. The temple was being built for God. Here's the third benefit. You, God, and those around you are filled with joy. I mean, when you begin to understand God owns everything and you begin to live generously, it brings joy. Listen to what it says in verses 9 and 17. The people rejoiced over the offerings, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord, and King David was filled with joy. I know, my God, that you examine our hearts and rejoice when you find integrity there. You know I've done all this with good motives, and I've watched your people offer their gifts willingly, gifts willingly and joyously. You see, giving doesn't rob us of joy. Giving fills us with joy. It is true that it's more blessed to give than receive. I, I saw this, uh, this ha- past Halloween with my granddaughter. John and Christy took Graceland out trick-or-treating, and, and she loved it. And when she went to the doors of friends and family in their neighborhood, she didn't say trick-or-treat. She had this down. She went, treat, please. And so they went to several houses, and then they went back to their house because they wanted to bless others. They wanted to be there to, to give out candy to kids in the neighborhood. And what was amazing is Graceland enjoyed the giving more than she did the getting. I want you to watch this video of my beautiful little granddaughter. Let me tell you, she loved giving. Here you go. Here you go. I, I mean, I've, I've got I've to tell you, I've never met a person that got to the point that they gave and they really ended up regretting it. When we give, it brings joy to us. It brings joy to God. It brings joy to those around us. But one final thing. When we learn learn to give generously because we understand everything comes from God, we begin to look more like Christ. The fact is, God is a giver. The Bible says every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. Everything that we have comes from God. And the greatest gift that God gives is His Son. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one, His only Son. And when we get to the point that we give, we become like him. There's a story of a little boy in New York City on a cold winter night who was standing at the window of a store looking in when this this well-dressed lady came up beside him and asked the boy, what was he looking at? He said, I was looking at those shoes. I'd love a pair of shoes. And she looked down. It was a cold, damp 
winter night in New York, and she looked down, and he had no shoes on. And she took the little boy by the hand and said, come on, let's go in the store. And she asked the owner of the store if he would get a wash basin, and he got a wash basin, and she washed the little boy's feet. She dried them off. Then she got a pair of socks, and she put them on his feet. Then she asked him to pick out the shoes he wanted, and he picked out those shoes. She put them on. Then she got several other pairs of socks for him to take home with him. She paid for all of that, and then she left. The little boy was sitting there in the store just kind of in awe because nothing like that had ever happened to him before. And, and he looked at the shop owner and said, who was that? Was that God's wife? Now, why did he say that? Because when we become a giver, we look like our Heavenly Father. We look like His Son. But here's what I know. You'll never become a giver until you first of all receive His gift. And then you give yourself back to him. I want you to notice what it says in verse 5 there in chapter 29. When, when David is giving this challenge, he said, Now who is willing to consecrate himself today to the Lord? In other words, who is willing to just lay it all on the line and give themselves completely to God? And when they did that, that was the catalyst that changed their perspective. It's not mine, it's God's. And when their perspective was changed, all of a sudden they became generous, giving freely and wholeheartedly. I've got two challenges for you this morning. The first one is this. If you've never received the gift of eternal life, it was freely given through God's Son when Jesus died on the cross. I want to encourage you to receive His gift today. The greatest gift He's ever given you. Let Him change your life. But then second, I want to challenge you to change your perspective. Because I believe the overwhelming majority of us, even though we may know that word stewardship and we may have heard it, Explained before, if we're really honest, we still live with clenched fist rather than open hands. And the reason we do is because we think it's mine rather than it's his. And so I want to challenge you to change your perspective. And as you change your perspective, ask God over the next several weeks... How does he want you to live a life of generosity to his church, to those in need around you, to other causes that are worth supporting? Would you bow your head with me? And let's go back to that first challenge. Accepting his gift and consecrating yourself, giving yourself wholeheartedly to him. If you've never done that, I want to encourage you to do that this morning. And you can do it by praying this prayer. Dear God, I know I need you. I'm a sinner. I've disobeyed you. 
I've lived my way rather than your way. Forgive me. I know that my best will never be good enough. And it's because of that that I'm asking Jesus to save me. I believe you died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe you rose from the grave defeating sin. And I'm giving myself to you. Come into my life. Take control. Now with your head still bowed, your eyes still closed. I want to ask everyone here to pray one other prayer with me. You're not making a commitment. You're praying a prayer to God. Pray this prayer. Dear God. Over the next three weeks, speak to my spirit. Show me, Lord God, how I can give in a way that honors you and recognizes it's not mine, it's yours. I'm only a steward. So speak to me. Challenge me, I pray. Amen. And if you prayed that first prayer, here's what I want you to do. In just a few moments as we take up the offering and, and you slip that communication card in, in the offering plate, there, there's a box on that card. I prayed today to become a lifelong follower of Jesus. If you prayed that prayer, let us know. We want to walk through this journey with you. But here's what I want us to do right now. I want us to have a time of prayer. And as we pray, I'm going to invite you to come to this altar. And you may be praying for needs. It may be a physical need. It may be a spiritual need. It may be a financial need. As we're preparing, let me just tell you. Last week, we saw a miracle. A man who should be dead right now is alive, breathing on his own, talking on his own, ready to go home. And they don't want him to go home yet, but he's ready to go home. God answers prayers. You may want to intercede for somebody, a family member, someone else. But as our instrumentalists play softly, I, I want to invite you to just to join me here at the altar. And let's just spend a time in prayer. And then we'll continue the service. God's word says, call unto me and I will answer you. Show you great and mighty things. God's word tells us that we have not because we ask not. What are your needs? What are your burdens? 
What are those impossibilities in your life, in the life of your family? What are those areas where it seems hopeless? Take them to God. Father God, in this room are a variety of needs. Lord, I don't know all of them. But you do. Father, as your children bring their heart's desires, their burdens, their requests to you, Father, hear their prayers. Intercede. Father, I want to pray right now specifically for those who are in bondage. There are people today who, Lord, are caught up in habits that they can't seem to conquer. Addictions that have enslaved them. Father, I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit, you will set them free. You said you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Father, set them free today. Father, do what you can do that the world can't. Father, I imagine there are others like me in this room who are burdened for people that they love, they care for, that need you. Your word tells us when your spirit comes, he will convict of sin, righteousness, and the judgment. Lord, I pray your spirit will work in the lives of people today and this week. Father God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.